There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode 82. In this episode, I thought I'll go back to the basics when it comes to superannuation. As you know, over the last three months, there's been a lot of changes, particularly with early access to super, where people in financial difficulties as a result of COVID-19 can access um, a maximum of $10,000 from their super per financial year. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about that later in the podcast, but I've had a couple of questions about people trying to learn about investing, trying to, you know save money and put it into investments, which is all fantastic. But when I delve deeper into their sort of habits, what I have noticed is that they're not maximizing their super, which is basically money for jam in terms of a very tax effective way of saving for your retirement. And I think we need to delve into that a little bit so that people understand that they can do that first, um, which is actually quite easy to do. And also try and save that 20% of after-tax income. So we'll go into the details about superannuation. Now, I have discussed superannuation before in episode 13 and also in episode 51 uh, when it comes to self-managed super funds as well. So you might want to go back and listen to those episodes as well. For those of you that are new to the channel, the aim is to educate, empower, and entertain. Now, disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions after listening to my podcast, take it to the appropriate um, expert advisor in your life to make sure that you get the right advice. Don't do things after listening to some random guy podcasting about personal finance. Now, if you're stuck on what to do and you need some basic principles, here are some simple steps to get you on the right track when it comes to saving investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself. You need to take a set percentage of your income, of your after-tax income, and I sort of recommend 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. That is your money before any of the other expenses are taken into account. Step two, invest that money, ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. For me, I just understand index funds, so I invest in index funds. Step three, always reinvest dividends. The power of compounding over the long term with dividends reinvested is substantial. Step four, do it for the long term. I'm not talking 7, 10, 15 years. I'm talking longer, 20, 30, 40 uh, plus years. Okay, so do it for the long term. That's an absolute... um, magic, you know, uh, and step five, automate the investment. Do it forever. Make sure you have some sort of mechanism to automate it. So when I do index fund investing, automation is quite easy. I just take a set percentage of my income, set it as a, you know, regular weekly um, a sort of payment via BPAY, 
um, and it just goes straight into the Vanguard wholesale account. Simple, effective, cheap, um, and really, really easy. And if you did those things, you're more likely to retire with more money than you'd ever imagined you'd need. And remember, money is just a tool. It's not going to buy you happiness, but it can use it as a tool. It can solve the problems that require money, and it can make the lives of people around you that much better. So make sure you use money as a resource, as a tool to make your life better, but also the people around you better. So let's get on to the main topic. Let's talk about superannuation. Now, what can you do to maximize your superannuation? I think there are about sort of nine to 10 steps that you could do in your life in order to maximize your super. Um, so we'll go about it in a very systematic way. The number one thing you need to do is to make sure that your employer is actually contributing the required amounts legislatively to your super. I know it sounds really crazy simple, but you'll be amazed how many times employees are shortchanged because they don't check whether the superannuation contributions are actually going into your superannuation account. So in Australia, so this doesn't really affect overseas listeners, and I think if you're in America, for example, your 401k, etc. But in Australia, we have something called superannuation guarantee. Employers are obliged to contribute a minimum percentage of each eligible employee's earnings, and that's only for ordinary time earnings, not for penalties, etc., to their superannuation account. So what is that minimum percentage guarantee that employers must pay? It's 9.5% of your wage uh, until the year 2021 financially. Uh, and after this, it should rise to 10% and hopefully max out at 12% for the 2026 financial year. Now, to be honest, this should have been happening far earlier, um, but there's been a uh, freeze on the um, uh, superannuation guarantee amount by successive governments, um, and that's been pushed back to rise of the guaranteed super election after election. That's They've just been delaying uh, the superannuation guarantee f to reach 12%. Really, that should have happened a lot earlier, but that's been pushed back to 2026 at the moment. Um, now, there are some people in government who thinks that's too high, so they really want to stop it from going to 12% as an employee-guaranteed employee superannuation. So watch that space. Now, the other thing is to check whether you're actually getting superannuation. You need to log into your super account online if you have an account online. If you don't have an account online, I'd be very surprised, but if you don't, then you need to create one. A lot of the super accounts um, are managed online these days, so if you don't have an online account, create one. It's not that difficult. If you don't know how to create one, then ring up your superannuation fund and please find out how to do it, okay? All the major um, uh, industry super funds have online accounts, so it's really, really simple. Um, and you need to check when you log in that the contributions are actually happening. Just because the super amount is shown on your payslip does not mean the money is being paid. This is a common misconception. I've had some people tell me, well, I'm getting paid super. And I say, well, how do you know that? Because it's written down on my payslip. Guess what? That doesn't mean the money has actually reached your superannuation account. That is just saying that this is the amount of super that will be paid into your account. But until it's actually reached your superannuation account, then you know it's not paid. So I've come into instances where employers have actually said that they will pay super and it's all legit, it's on the payslip, but the money never actually gets into the superannuation 
fund, okay? So some employers do that every pay cycle where they put money into super. Others hold out onto the payments and only pay it quarterly. I think there's a government-mandated minimum I think quarterly or um, twice yearly. So I think you need to check that up on the ATO website. This is all managed by the ATO. But make sure that you check that the money actually goes into the super. Now, unfortunately, like I said, I've come across some employers, especially small businesses, who may not have great systems or processes where they don't pay super at all despite it actually mentioning it on the payslip. But usually what happens is the ATO, which sort of governs and sort of legislates and looks after this area, picks up on this and contacts you directly. Um, So ultimately, though, it is your responsibility to check. So please check. So what can you do if you don't get paid super but are eligible to get the superannuation guarantee? What are some of the steps that you can take? In Australia, if you earn more than $450 gross per month and you're above the age of 18 years or older, you are eligible for a super guarantee. That is not negotiable. If you don't work things out with your employer after finding out that you haven't been paid super and you show them the law, then you're entitled to report your employer to the ATO. The ATO sort of governs all this. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't come down to that, but, you know, I'm sure there's been instances where superannuation hasn't been paid appropriately. Now, is there a penalty for employers not adhering to the rules? Yes, there are penalties for not adhering to the rules, and that's a fine of $10,500 to the employer or even 12 months imprisonment. It can be a criminal offence not to pay your employee's superannuation guarantee. Most employers do the right thing, and if they make mistakes, they pick it up and they correct it quite quickly. Uh, And most don't screw over their employees, but some do, and it's important to keep tabs on your super. And the employers that accidentally make mistakes is because they're small businesses. They don't have large sort of, you know, manpower and they don't have large systems in place. It's really, really important to use appropriate software or systems in place so that you pay your employers the appropriate superannuation guarantee. It is their legal entitlement. So is there an amnesty for employers if they make mistakes? Yes, usually six months. Um, If you need to check with your super and ATO about this specific rule, if they consistently use this amnesty to pay super at a later date, then I think you can take it up with your employer and ATO um, for willfully underpaying your super. The reason why that's important is because if your employer doesn't pay you super on time and they delay it, Well, that's six months of dollar cost averaging that you've missed out. Why should you as an employee take that hit um, when legally you are allowed to get your super paid on time? You're not asking for anything more than what's entitlement. This is legislated. This is law. Um, So it's really important that if they're breaching that amnesty on a regular basis, you know, you need to sensitively approach it with your employer, but also have the ATO on speed dial if you have any issues. Doesn't matter if... You're employed as a permanent employee, part-time employee, full-time employee, or casual employee. And the answer is no, even casuals are entitled for superannuation. If you're employed, you get paid super. Now, if you're self-employed or have an ABN business because you invoice for your services, then it's up to you to pay yourself super. So, for example, a lot of the doctors that work in private clinics, general practitioners, etc., they have their own ABN, they just invoice their, their... their practice or their supervisor, 
then they're not employees, so it is up to the doctor to pay their own superannuation. So we're going to how to do that a bit later in the episode. So for employees that have a contract or some sort of contract that sort of, you know, in, in the contract it would it would actually say that you're entitled to your superannuation, you have to get paid super. Now, at the moment, it's 9.5% minimum guarantee. It's not a maximum guarantee. Um, so there is no maximum guarantee, actually. So this is the minimum. So if you're lucky enough to be in an industry which pays higher minimums, then it's your luckiness. So, for example, in education and university sector, sometimes some employees get paid up to 17% super. So it still caps out, though, at about $25,000 in concessional contributions. Remember, if you get 9.5% of superannuation paid, that is on top of your normal wage. That doesn't include that's not inclusive of your normal wage. So those on top. So if you make a hundred dollars a day in gross income, then they have to pay nine point five percent on the hundred dollars. So it's on top of your wage. So that's really really important for you to understand. Now, is there a legal loophole with superannuation for businesses not to pay the correct super? Actually, there is a legal loophole, but that's going to be closed in the next couple of weeks. Um, so let's use an example to highlight a legal loophole. Suppose your pre-tax income was $50,000 um, and suppose your salary sacrificed $5,000 from the $50,000 into your super. Then your employer could use the lower income, that is after your salary sacrificed, to calculate your super. So using 9.5% rule, your super should have actually been $4,750 on the $50,000, but employers were paying only $4,275 because they could use the lower salary of $45,000 after salary sacrifice. Now this legal loophole will be closed as of the 1st of July 2020. This is important for you to know. So check your super in the new financial year. That is, if your salary sacrifice a specific amount from your gross salary into your super, your employer has to pay the original salary, not the lower salary after the salary sacrifice. That is really important for you to understand. Now, I've just found out that, um, uh, you know, I've been shortchanged with regards to my super. What can I do? So this is a common question that, that I get. So what can you do if you've been shortchanged super and you found out um, that you've been sort changed. Well, the law is if the employer short changes an employee of their rightful super entitlements, the employer will need to pay the shortfall of super plus a 10% interest on the shortfall and any administration fees charged by the superannuation firm. So the law is very clear. This is important for you as an employer and you as an employee to know. So I guess, you know, if you've been shortchanged once or twice, are you really going to sue your employer? Well, that depends on what your relationship is with your boss and your employer. But if you've been consistently shortchanged, the law protects the employee. You can't be screwed over by not having your super paid. So just to reiterate, if you've been shortchanged, there is a 10% penalty plus whatever that amount has been shortchanged plus any admin fees on the employer. So that just about covers why you should check if you're actually getting paid superannuation. Now, I make specific reference here to training doctors in general practice 
who are not attached to a public hospital. You are vulnerable because you're not really governed by the public EBA. Um, so please check your super statements. It is not unusual for some general practice registrars to be shortchanged to their super. And because GP services are small businesses, you know, they might not have stringent processes to be able to control this. That's not to say that your boss is trying to screw you. That's just to say that if you find a anomaly, I think it's important that you raise it with your supervisor to make sure that they're not doing it inadvertently without actually knowing. It may not actually be their fault. They might not actually know the rules and they might not actually have systems and processes to be able to cope with underpayments. So that's important. I also make special reference to training doctors attached to a private hospital or a public hospital. Check your super. It's not that hard. Don't ignore it. It can amount to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for your retirement. So the bottom line is check your super, know your rights for employers and also for employees. Number two, try and stick with industry super funds. Low cost index funds are a thing just like that. Keep your costs low with your super as um, lower the fees, the more money in your pocket, essentially. In Australia, there are 15 industry super funds to choose from. And generally, they don't pay commissions to financial planners. Uh, they pay less commissions uh, overall, which means um, more in your pocket over the long run. So when I say less commissions, I'm talking about less fees. I beg your pardon. I should be very clear. Their aim is to only benefit their members. Remember, super is a trust structure. Uh, if you don't know what a trust structure is, refer to my episode on trust, which is episode 61, to understand trustees and beneficiaries, etc. So they run the super fund solely for the benefit of their members. Um, usually, due to the low fees, their performance tends to be better than retail super funds, and they cover a wide variety of industries. Now, they have over 5 million Australians are using industry super funds, which means that a significant proportion aren't which is a little bit of a worry. So make sure that if you're not in a industry super fund, are they because, is it because they're outperforming or they have lower fees or you just don't know, so check. Um, number three, maximize your superannuation. What does this mean? This means that you need to make sure that you take advantage of the tax effective strategies that are built in to superannuation. So, for example, you're allowed to, inclusive of employer super contributions, to have up to $25,000 paid into your super from your gross income and only pay 15% contributions tax on that 25 grand. This is called concessional contributions. If you earn up to $250,000, the tax rate for these contributions, for example, is only 15% at the super level. If you earn more than $250,000 per annum, then your tax rate for the super contributions becomes up to 30%. And that's something called Division 293 rule, which affects a lot of doctors because a lot of doctors make pretty good wage, probably two fifty dollars to 700000 depending on your specialty. Some of them make a lot more. Now, if you earned $250,000, irrespective of that, you would have paid up to 36% tax. That's your marginal tax rate. Um, so why would you want to do that? Why do you want to give more money to the government? In other words, if you maximized your super to 25k concessional contributions, this only is about 15% of that will go towards tax. So only $3,750 goes towards tax, where if you didn't do this, then you'll be taxed at $9,000 extra 
This is just wasted money. You can also contribute to super using your after-tax income, and these contributions are not taxed at the superannuation fund, um, but you can only contribute up to $100,000 per annum in after-tax contributions into super. Now, if you want to contribute more than $100,000, what you can do is you can bring forward two years' worth in addition to the current financial year. So, for example, if I want to, now it's almost up to June 30th, I can contribute up to $100,000 in this financial year, plus bring forward another two years' worth, so another $200,000. So really by June 30th, I can contribute $300,000 in after-tax contributions towards my superannuation. Um, That's actually possible if I wanted to do it before June the 30th. But that means over the next two years, I won't be able to contribute more. So this is very useful for people that are about to retire and they've got nothing else to do. They've got a lot of money to spare. Just plow it into your super to build it up to $1.6 million. That's the catch. What is the catch? The $1.6 million balance transfer cap rule. So if you have more than $1.6 million already in your super, then you can't contribute um, you know, after-tax contributions. It's, it's not going to be very tax-effective for you. So um, you can't contribute any more if you've already reached that $1.6 million cap. To be honest, if you reach $1.6 million cap, you're doing pretty well anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Number four, what is the maximum super contribution base set by the government? Now, this will basically affect people on very, very high incomes. Um, So, for example, let me use an example for this. If you earn a half a million dollars per year, you won't get paid 9.5% of the entire half a million dollars. And that depends on your contract. But the government has a maximum superannuation contribution space. You're only entitled to super up to a maximum base wage of $221,080. And that gets indexed up, which works out to be a maximum super contribution of about $5,250 per quarter. Um, And now this maximum base contribution is per employer. So it's not the total income. So if you have uh, multiple jobs, each earning $200,000, then potentially you'll be paid the entire contribution from each employer up to 9.5%. But then you may find yourself in another position where you pay a little bit of extra tax as a result because now you'll be breaching the concessional contributions cap of $25,000 in total. The concessional contribution cap is twenty-five dollars in total not per employer, but you can still get the 9.5% of employer-guaranteed super per employer. And this affects a lot of doctors, for example, who have multiple jobs. Uh, I know I have multiple jobs, and unfortunately, I, I do breach that 25 k uh, contribution cap, and that's sort of unavoidable to some extent. Um, and I don't really mind because I'm on a 47% tax bracket, so if I'm paying a little bit more tax in super contributions of you know either 15 to 30 percent that is still a huge saving for me uh, rather than having that money on hand because I would have paid a top marginal rate of about 47 or 45 percent marginal tax rate so it's still pretty good for me um, so the big take-home message of this segment is make sure your superannuation is contributed to make sure you maximize your concessional contributions and Make sure, if you can afford it, maximize your after-tax contributions, which is non-concessional. And I'll discuss a little bit later in the episode as to why maximizing super contributions are very, very important. Moving on, number five, make sure you claim any lost super or 
you know, consolidate your super. Now, this affects a lot of people, you know, young people that would have had multiple jobs. So what is lost super? If you have multiple jobs throughout your career and haven't consolidated or nominated one super fund for your employer to contribute to your super, then they will create another account under your name and the money is deposited in yet another super account. So why is this bad? Well, it's bad because each account will have fees associated with it. And as you know, fees means less returns for you. It eats into your returns over the long run. So, you know, as it as of I think as of this year, $17 billion are sitting in three or more super accounts of one Australian. Um, so $17 billion, that is the average amount of super that is distributed across three accounts for each Australian. So that's crazy. And 2.3 million Australians, almost 10% of the population or 20% of the workforce is affected by this. That is a massive amount. So consolidate your super. How do you do that? Your super fund may have a system in place where they can track any lost super for you or unclaimed super and then find it and consolidate it. Um, if your super fund doesn't have an existing system to do this, then link your MyGov account to the ATO account. You need a tax file number to do that. Then select the super option, and this will create an easy way for you to find any lost or unclaimed super. Why waste money on multiple account keeping fees? Just have one super. Now, the other way to find lost super is also logging on to ozfund.com.au. This super fund is actually dedicated to rolling over unclaimed or lost super funds. So make sure you find your unclaimed money because superannuation is your money. It is not anyone else's money. It is your money. It is your entitlement. So you need to take some personal responsibility to try and find out where you might have lost super. Number six, the government is giving free money when it comes to super. What does that mean? Now, this is really, really true. They are giving free money, and it is mainly for low-income earners. So the government will match your contribution up to $500 per per year when you make a personal after-tax contribution to your superannuation fund. So this is called the government co-contribution scheme. It's a freebie. Now, you might think it's not much. It's only 500 bucks a year, but let me put it to you this way. The stock market returns around 100% per annum over 100 years. We've discussed that in previous episodes. With the co-contribution scheme, your return on your money is 100%. The government is matching your contribution up to $500. If you match $500, the government is matching it with $500. So if you're a low-income earner, you're getting 100% return on your money. It's a no-brainer. If you're eligible, why not do it? Now, the eligibility criteria is quite strict, and usually at tax time, it's automatically worked out. So you don't have to physically sort of do anything about it. As long as you put the money in, they will match up to $500 co-contribution. Now, if you contribute more than $500, so let's say if you, you know, um, contribute $10,000, the government's not going to be giving you ten grand. they are going to be giving you 500 bucks. So, you know, yes, it's not a lot of money, but, you know, it's free money. So basically, you know, if you have any obligation or if you have any concerns about taking advantage of free money, and if you have so much money that you want to give it away, well, uh, I know a guy called Dev Raga who's really good at podcasting, and I'll tell you where to put the money. Um, uh, yeah, welcome to put it in my superannuation account or my bank account if you if you think you should uh, uh, if you think this is not worth it. So take advantage of free money. 
Number seven, insurance cover, check and recheck. So make sure you find out what sort of personal insurance cover you have through your super. A lot of people think they've got great superannuation insurance cover. That's actually not true. Uh, If you have multiple super accounts, note you may not be eligible for multiple insurance claims through all of them. It may only be through the one super fund that may pay out any claims. So if you have three super funds, that doesn't mean you have three life insurance policies. You need to make sure that having multiple super insurance policies doesn't make it all void. That's really important. And in fact, that's one of the questions that you need to ask your personal insurance that you might have bought outside of super. You know, you need to disclose that you've already got a superannuation life insurance policy. So if you buy something outside of super, you know, does the super policy get void? That's really important for you to find out. You need to also check um, about the outside super. Sorry, I'm coming back and repeating the same thing again. So you need to make sure that neither of them become void if the claim is one or claim is one or the other. Now, for more specific personal insurance uh, information, uh, listen to the first 10 episodes, episode 5, where I go into detail about personal insurance. And also note that since March 2020, there's been a lot of changes to personal insurance, uh, especially in terms of having to have reviews every three to five years and all that sort of stuff. So particularly when it comes to um, fixed amount payments uh, as opposed to incremental payments. So you need to make sure you do a bit of research on that, particularly your insurance cover with relation to your super specifically. Number eight, check what investments your super money is invested in. Don't just leave it in the default option. This is really, really important. Just like any other investment, you need to make sure you know what your super is actually invested in to understand what it's invested in. Many Australians don't know how or where your super money is invested in. So take control of your investments. It's relatively simple, but a very effective tip. So make sure also that when you change between different investment options like conservative, balance, aggressive, etc., there are no fees associated with it because some of the super funds charge fees every time you take money and put it into various investment options. This is a very common Facebook and online forum question. You know, I'm 25, I'm in conservative option, should I be changing it over to balanced or aggressive option? You probably should be on aggressive option right from your 20s and 30s, really. But you need to check whether there's any fees associated with transferring those funds, because I'm sure superannuation funds don't do it for free. Number nine, first home super saver scheme, tongue twister. So what is it? Now, um, traditionally, you'll need to save for a deposit. Um, uh, for your home. And the way to save for a deposit is after you've paid tax on your income. So the income gets taxed and you've got to save out of the money, out of the after-tax income. The problem is home prices have grown significantly faster than what Australians can afford. So therefore, the problem was you're always playing catch-up. This is the problem. So the government introduced what if superannuation was used to pay for your first home deposit that you buy? Is this a good or bad idea? Well, if, you, if it's a bad, it's really a bad idea if you use your employer contributions and withdraw that fund and then use it to buy a home or pay a deposit. In fact, this is actually not possible. You can't dip into the employer super contributions and pay for a deposit for your home. So what is this first home super saver scheme? Let's look at it in detail. This is something that first home buyers can possibly take advantage of. Now, the number one aim is to take advantage of the tax advantage status of super. We've talked about that before. The 15% contribution tax is way less than what your marginal tax might be. Remembering any concessional contributions to super is only taxed at 15%. 
okay? So if your marginal tax rate is 30% on average, this is what most Australians pay, then you immediately save 15% on your money. So that's a huge saving. You're getting a return of 15%. That's pretty good. Concessional contributions then have to be from your own pre-tax money and not from part of your employer contributions. Now, concessional... So if, if, if there's a tax savings on the way into super... When it comes to first-time super saver scheme, is there any tax on the way out? And the answer is yes, but there is a 30% tax offset on the way out, and this is great for first-time buyers. Remember, the money taken out of super must be used to put a deposit on the first home. This all sounds very long-winded and complicated, so the best way to explain it would be to have an example. Let's use an example to see how the first-time super saver saver scheme that tongue twister, first home super saver scheme might work. Suppose you earn $85,000, which seems to be the average income in Australia pre-COVID. The marginal tax rate is 34.5% for this level of income. If you try and save $5,000 outside of super, you would have paid 34.5 cents per dollar earned. That's quite a high marginal tax rate. However, if you contribute pre-tax dollars into super of around $5,000, you only pay $0.15 for every dollar contributed to the super. So the first scenario means you would have paid $1,725 in taxes. The super strategy for the second scenario, that is the first-term super saver scheme, you only pay $750 in taxes. So you save $975 in taxes. Now, the only difference being when you contribute to super, you need to flag this contribution as your own as part of the first home super saver scheme. Because if you don't, the ATO won't recognize this and therefore you won't be allowed to extract that money when you want to buy your first home. So you need to flag it when you put it in. So what happens on the way out? When you want to use the money to buy the first home, usually... If you put money into super and want early access, there might be a bit of taxation problem for you. It's up to 30% tax you need to pay. And that's just a deterrent for people to abuse, uh, sorry, deterrent to people if, if they want to abuse superannuation. So you ask the ATO to release the funds because you've contributed and flagged it as part of the first-term buying scheme. And they analyze to make sure the money is designed to be used for the correct purpose and you flagged it. Remember, your marginal tax rate is 34.5% rather than paying that much tax due to the early release, you will get a 30% offset because that is the offset in terms of of what you're eligible for when you actually extract the money back on the back end, which means you then only have to pay the 4.5% difference, uh, which is the taxation on the early release of your superannuation. So this tax is paid on the amount withdrawn plus any earnings earned during the period of the time the money has stayed in the super account. Now, I think I read somewhere that if the economy goes to bunkers and the money actually gets lost for the money that you've put into the first home super saver scheme, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'd be very interested to find out from people who know a little bit more about this than me, you don't lose any money. The government will then add the 4% earnings on that. There's some 4% rule associated with the first-term buyer scheme. So it's probably important to understand that, that it's kind of a guaranteed minimum 4% return on your money that you put in flagged as a first-term super saver scheme amount. So who's eligible for this amount? You've got to be 18 years and older. 
you haven't previously owned any property in Australia, you have to have an intention to live in the property for six months or more. So that is, it is your principal place of residence. Uh, you can only use the scheme once. Um, and what's interesting about it is, suppose you're a couple, you can access the first time owner's grant from the Australian government once as a couple. But with this scheme, as far as I'm aware, even couples are considered as individuals. So a couple can use this scheme once under each name and maximum save a combined $60,000. So that brings to the next question, is there a limit to the contributions flagged as a first home super saver scheme amount? Yes, 15000 per financial year, that's the limit. Now remember, total concessional contributions, including your super contributions, including your employee contributions, sorry, must not exceed twenty-five k. And the lifetime maximum uh, as part of this scheme is only 30000 so if you contribute 15K in year one and 15K in year two, that's it. You can't contribute any more. If you contribute after-tax income, then it must still be 15K or less per year and be less than $100,000 as discussed previously because that's the cap on the non-concessional contributions to super per year. Let's use an example to highlight this point. If you want to buy a home in two years, for example, year one, you contribute 15000 as part of the FHSSS scheme, and the total contributions end up being twenty-five k as part of the concessional route. That includes employer contributions. In year two, you contribute another 10000 as part of the FHSSS scheme, but in total, twenty-five k is contributed as part of the concessional contributions, and that includes employer contributions. So the total concessional contributions in two years becomes 50000 But because you've only contributed 15000 plus another 10000 as part of the first home super saver scheme, you can only withdraw the twenty five k and end up with a 30% tax offset. You can't withdraw the whole fifty k that you've contributed as part of the concessional contributions, and you can't withdraw the thirty k cap anyway. So the rest of the money still sits in the super account just like it would anyway. So how can you access this scheme? You need to speak to the ATO and your super fund. So any money allocated as part of the scheme is flagged as such. So the ATO is aware what money belongs to what. Step one, apply for a determination to access your money. Step two, ATO will contact super to give release authority. And remember, the ATO has the power here, not the super. Your super fund is just managing your money. They don't have any rights or power to grant you in terms of whether you want to be part of this scheme or not. They need to basically dance to the ATO's music. Step three, payment summary will then be sent to you showing your assessable amount as part of the first-time super saver scheme. What happens if you participate in this program but don't end up buying a home or are unable to buy a home with the money released? Well, there are three specific options for you. Um, The first option is you can apply for another 12-month extension provided the ATO grants it. The second option is you can recontribute the money back into your super. The third option is you can keep the money, but it will then be subject to an extra 20% flat, flat tax rate. Remember, you already received a 30% tax offset on the way out. So those are the three sort of options that you have if you, you know, contribute to this scheme and then find out that you actually haven't bought a home. Are withdrawals included in ATO assessments? Yes, it's accessible income, but it won't be used to count towards your HECS or HELP repayment or income tests as part of the Social Security payment eligibility. So I think it's a relatively fair system, to be honest. Now, lastly, number 10, should I withdraw $10,000 before June 30th and then another $10,000 
after June 30th to take advantage of the new scheme introduced by the government as part of the coronavirus relief package. Now, this package was announced in March to help those people who have lost their jobs and JobKeeper alone will not be enough to make ends meet. And the whole point is to allow access to one's superannuation funds without any tax penalties. You're allowed to withdraw up to $10,000 until June 30th and another $10,000 until 24th of September this year. That is a new financial year. As far as I know, I think it's when the application is actually done and not when the money is released, but you need to check with the ATO on this one. I'm not particularly sure. I tried to find it online, but I couldn't find it. And you can only do one withdrawal per financial year. For example, you can't withdraw the whole 20K before June 30th, 2020. You've got to do 10 and 10. So, you know, I think if you are struggling, if JobKeeper, JobSeeker is not enough, you can't get part-time work, um, this might be an option for you. So what is the eligibility criteria? Well, unemployed or eligible to receive JobSeeker payment, youth allowance, parenting payment, special benefits of farm household allowance, and or after the 1st of Jan 2020, and that's, in, that's interesting, that preceded COVID, your job may have been made redundant or your working hours have been reduced by 20% or more or if you're a sole trader, your business has suffered a 20% reduction in turnover. And I think they introduced it at January 1, 2020 because one, it's easier to manage and two, after January really, COVID became really big, even in Australia and then people start getting worried and of course businesses really started to reduce their income and turnover after that. So for you to be able to get a job in that scenario would be quite difficult. Now, there are special criteria for temporary visa holders, but I won't go into it um, because it just gets really messy, really complicated. So if you're a temporary visa holder listening to this podcast, go to the ATO's website. It's very, very clear, very easy to understand. So how can you access your 10 grand prior to June 30th? Well, you've got to put in a MyGov application. The ATO contacts your super fund. ATO then approves your request based on eligibility and money is then released. But there are five things you seriously need to consider before withdrawing money before June 30th. Yes, it's tax-free and that's attractive to many, many people, but consider these other issues as well. Do you really need the money? Make sure you utilise other government financial assistance and provide uh, utilise private enterprise assistance as well. Job seeker, job keeper payments, rental reduction schemes through agreements with your landlords um, if you're eligible. I think that's a good way to reduce your expenses. Freezing credit card payments, home loan payments, but you need to check if interest is also frozen. Some of the companies are being cheeky. They're adding interest, but they're just freezing payments. Utility providers and other services that you might be using, they might be providing relief as well. So it's important to check whether you're eligible for other relief before you dig into your super. You need to seriously consider the potential impact on your retirement. A 25-year-old withdrawing $20,000 today may end up with $60,000 or more less during the retirement age based on the modelling by the government. So you're spending your future retirement money. No doubt about it. So... Try to avoid it as much as possible. Withdrawing money now also means if you don't make up for the contributions later, then you will permanently lose returns in the long run. This is compounding working backwards, and this disproportionately affects women because they may take time off later in life to have children. The current market's 
are still 1,000 points below the highest levels we've seen in Jan. Uh, sorry, in February. So you are withdrawing at a worse time than before COVID. So do you really need to withdraw money at the bottom of the market? The potential loss of insurance covers, that's really important. If you withdraw funds and there isn't enough in there to cover for insurance premiums, then your policy is void. And if you want a new policy, you will need to reapply. And of course, personal insurance policy guidelines have changed a lot in recent times. Unfortunately, income protection does not cover loss of job. It only covers for health issues, which deems you're unable to work to earn a living. So insurance is a big deal. So those are the five things that you need to think about when it comes to withdrawing 10 grand from your super. Now, the good thing about it is it's tax-free. Um, so doesn't mean that there's a legal loophole. I know there's a lot of online chatter and a lot of people have raised this online and to me as well. So is there a legal loophole? Let, let, me, let me give you an example. So if your income has been reduced or work hours has been reduced and you qualify um, for early release of super of 10 grand, can you then salary sacrifice $10,000 into your super? Then before June 30th or on the 1st of July, withdraw the 10K. So why is that, you know, a potential legal loophole? Well, this means that you've only paid 15, uh, 15% tax on your concessional contributions on the 10K. And on the back end, when you withdraw it, it's tax-free. So isn't this possible? Isn't that a great tax-effective strategy? And I'm pretty sure this is dodgy as hell, and I'm pretty sure that ATO will come down hard on you for doing this. So it's not what it's intended to do. It's intended to help people that are struggling. So don't game it because you might get caught and there are penalties uh, and do it at your own risk. Now, is it actually a good idea? Is it actually a good idea even if the policy has been utilised and followed properly? Is it actually a great idea? Well, the super funds thought that if it was done very carefully, it's a great idea. Uh, Roy Morgan did a survey, 83% of women and 75% of men approved of this scheme. Um, and the ages that were most in favour were between the age of 35 and 49. So 82% of that age group were in favour. But what actually happened? On the 1st of June, ABC published a report that out of 13,000 Australians who signed up for the early COVID release scheme, 64% of them went to spending on discretionary items such as clothing, furniture, restaurant food, gambling and alcohol. How did they find out? They looked at real-time bank transactions data. They noted the people who withdrew their super all of a sudden spent $3,000 more in the fortnight that followed. They also noticed that 14% of the extra spending accounted for repaying personal debts, personal loans, credit card debts, buy now, pay later bills, gambling. This is clearly not what it was intended to do. 40% of the persons who got the money did not have an income crisis, which means how do they get access to the money in the first place? How did they qualify? I suspect the process was not objective, but was rather subjective. So they gamed it. $15 billion has been withdrawn so far, and I suspect more will be withdrawn in the new financial year. It'll be interesting to see. And the number of applications for early release has topped $1.35 million. 
sorry, 1.35 million, beg your pardon, people. But the government feels it's the people's money anyway, and others don't have any right to criticise how they spend their money. I guess technically this is correct. Remember, superannuation is your money. If I had money in the bank right now and it wasn't derived from super, no one would question how I'd spend it. But now because it's super money and it was intended for retirement, people get edgy about how it's spent. Super is your money and technically you can do what you want with it. But it just means you're more likely to rely on welfare later on in life if you blow it all now. But this is also true for any personal finance decision we make in our lives. So it's a bit of a judgmental thing that some people have done. So what it was intended to do was, was I think, quite good and quite noble, but unfortunately it kind of didn't work out like that. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the 1st of July 2020. That is a lot to digest in this podcast. Monster episode, probably the biggest I've done. It's almost 50 minutes. But before I finish, I want to come back to briefly discuss the various phases of super. Superannuation has two phases. The first one is the accumulation phase. And when you retire, you can retire as part of a retirement phase or used to be called the pension phase. What I think people should be doing, and and, and this is the very first thing that I talked about in this episode, the very first thing is that people considering investing and doing all sorts of fancy things, but not actually maximizing their super. Super is a tax effective way of saving for retirement. So you really need to aim to achieve during the accumulation phase, try and get to $1.6 million of your superannuation. Because when you retire, if you have $1.6 million in your super account, you can transfer it from the accumulation phase, which is the phase that that it was in during your working life, into something called a pension phase. Now, during the accumulation phase, we've already talked about concessional contributions are only taxed at a preferential rate of 15% compared to the marginal rate. So if your marginal rate was 47%, 45%, beg your pardon, if you salary sacrifice into super and maximize concessional contributions, your marginal tax rate is actually just, sorry, your, 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 your tax on that contribution is only 15%. So you get a massive 25% um, uh, percent sort of saving. When you reach the $1.6 million in accumulation phase and you're about to retire, you can transfer that into the retirement phase or the pension phase. Then the beauty of that is any earnings is taxed at, zero percent. So imagine having 1.6 million dollars in your superannuation account and earning a dividend of about four percent which is on average accurate. You don't pay any tax. So that's why everyone who's listening, who's learning, should try and maximize their super so they get to that 1.6 million dollar cap. Now if you have three million or four million or five million only 1.6 million is allowed to be transferred onto the retirement phase and everything else sits in the accumulation phase and you still pay the 15% tax on the accumulation phase earnings. That is still better than having to pay marginal tax rates of 45%. So the moral of the story is superannuation was designed by the government to make sure that keep people like you and me, out of welfare later in life. It's a great system. It's tax effective. It's a great system. We need to take advantage of it. It's legal. A lot of people don't take advantage of it. And 
it just worries me that they spend so much time on trying to maximize their investments outside of super while they're just hemorrhaging money by not maximizing their super contributions. So if there's another take-home message from this episode is make sure that you maximize your 25,000 at least concessional contributions every financial year. If you have spare money, put it into the after-tax contributions, that's fine. But the 25K is, I think, non-negotiable if you can afford it. That's about it for this episode, episode 82. Um, So remember, pay yourself first, take 20% of after-tax income and put it aside, maximize your super, know the rules, take advantage of them. Superannuation is a great tax advantage way of saving for retirement. And yes, there is an element of legislative risk that's always going to be there, but do the minimum, try and maximize it as much as you can. Um, And whatever happens after the 1.6 million, it's up to you. You can have it inside super, outside super, it doesn't really matter. If you've enjoyed this podcast, share it amongst family and friends. You can download it via castbox.fm. That's my preferred provider because it's easier for me to, to monitor and you know, have a look at the stats. It's all available in Google Podcast, Spotify apps, and other podcasting apps. It's also available via online, devraga.com. And please like my Facebook page, which is Devraga Personal Finance on the Facebook. Until next time, this is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 82. And as always, please stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 